Okay, guys, big news. At least it is for me, and I hope it will be for you. It's time to talk about the subject of my new book, How to Get Hitched and Stay Hitched, a 12-step program for marriage-minded women. And hang tight before you forward through this, because the book may not be exactly what you think it is. Let's face it, folks. America is single. It's divorced, undercommitted, and hopelessly out of touch with how to build a relationship that lasts. Women in particular are groomed for a life centered on career and on being fiercely independent, as though marriage and family were a nice idea or a possible accompaniment to an otherwise satisfying life. But if flying solo is so great, why are online dating sites a billion-dollar industry, replete with clients looking to get hitched? In How to Get Hitched, I provide women with the detox they need from the four lies the culture tells. Here are those four lies. Number one, sex is just sex. Number two, never depend on a man. Number three, marriage plus motherhood equals jail. Number four, career success will and should define you. If you're a woman who wants a happy marriage and a balanced life, you are going to need a whole new roadmap. And now you have one. In this 12-step program, you will learn why your 20s matter and how to make the most of these years, how to date with purpose and a plan, why living with a man to whom you're not engaged is a massive mistake, facts about your fertility no one will tell you, why love alone is no reason to get married, and a brand new way to balance work and family. A call to arms how to get hitched will ignite a much-needed debate about the misplaced priorities of the modern generation. The superwoman ideal with which women have been raised is not sustainable in real life. Women can, however, have most of what they want if they pursue it in piecemeal fashion and in the right order. How to Get Hitched is available now at Amazon for pre-order, including the audio version, which was read by yours truly. The book will officially be available on August 31st, and you can read all about it at howtogethitched.net, where you will find a link to our Facebook group page, as well as a link to the actual 12-step program page, which gives a major overview of the 12 steps you'll read about in this book. If you're a woman who feels successful in life but not in love, you are going to want a copy of this book. If you're the parent of a single adult daughter and you want her to have a roadmap for life that doesn't encourage her to wait for marriage and family until the last possible moment, under the guise that there will be a pot of suitable young men waiting for them on the sidelines, which you and I both know there won't be, you will want to buy and give her a copy of this book ASAP. Again, just go to howtogethitched.net and you'll find everything you need to know there. And now on with the show. From the magnificent Midwest, it's the Suzanne Venker Show, where men and women are equal in value, but wildly different by nature. Join us here every week when we challenge the culture's hugely flawed narratives about men, women, sex, and love. From coast to coast and from around the world, thank you for joining us. So I was raised in what I choose to call a high-conflict household, which... um, 
you know, it's like anything else. If you compare your upbringing to other people's, you're going to always be able to say it could have been worse and it could have been better, right? Next to a really horrific upbringing, I certainly didn't have one. But compared to a healthy upbringing, um, it looks different. It's always been really hard for me to talk about this because I feel very beholden and loyal to my parents because separately, individually, they were great parents and passed on great, great messages. I mean, I could do a whole podcast on the phenomenal habits I learned from them. Um, how to think about my life irrespective of what the world around me is doing or what it, you know, what is the cool thing to do, which we'll go, come back to that. Cause that has everything to do with why I do what I do. Um, so, so individually it was great. Um, just a lot of good stuff there together. Not so great. And all of these factors made me who I am, just like whatever factors you had in your upbringing created who you are today. We're all alike in that way. And I see now how I got, you know, where I am and what I'm doing. And people often ask me what drives me and and how did I get here and why do I do what I do? So I thought I would take this opportunity to just tell you my story. The earlier years of my childhood were, were, were good. My, my memories of them were, were good. Definitely better earlier on than later. Um, but I had a very unusual family for at least for those days. Now I, I can't speak to, well, yeah, yeah, no, for those days I was born in 1968. So I grew up largely in the seventies and then the early eighties, I was a teenager and my parents married, or let's see, my mother married late in life by, as I say, those standards, she was 36 when she married my father who was a divorced man with four children. Um, and she had, but no, no, I'm sorry. She was 34 when she got married and she was 36 when she had my sister and 38 when she had me. So again, not so shocking by today's standards, but definitely back then she was, she was what you'd call a career woman. Um, spent a good 15 years in the workforce before ultimately marrying my dad. Um, she, the, both of my parents have MBAs. My father was a CPA with Price Waterhouse for 44 years. You don't hear that anymore either, uh, with a pension. And um, my, 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 uh, my mother was a stockbroker. And she, they both went to Washington University in St. Louis. And my mother went on to Radcliffe later. That's where she got her MBA, which is at the time was the sister school of Harvard, all female. 
Um, and she lived in New York and DC and did that whole thing and then came back. That seems to be a common theme in my, in my family, for whatever reason, I, I did that as well. Um, as did my sister and even my cousins. So I don't know, I guess it's a rite of passage uh, to go live up, live life up East and then come back to the Midwest. But at any rate, so she, um, my mom, you know, and then she was in a very, of course, male dominated field. She was one of the three stockbrokers at the time. And there was a, a story written up on her in the paper about that. And if you were to read that paper, or I mean, that article, um, you, you know, it would sound like something you'd read today, but it just simply wasn't done then, you know, talked about her being knee deep in stocks up until she gave birth. And then she went back to work shortly thereafter. Um, but anyway, long story short, she ended up leaving um, her career after, I guess, what, 15 years or so in it. When my sister and I were five and three, um, and she was home ever since. And she just, um, she had, not only did she stay home with us and raise us, but she had, um, many, 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 many interests and activities that were far more typical of those days. Um, uh, you know, gardening history, um, uh, um, Historical preservation was actually her, her real passion. So alongside raising us, she never did go back to be a stockbroker. She just, um, she found other things to do. Um, but as a result of that experience that she had, that was so unusual for those times, I, you know, the takeaway for me growing up was very different from my contemporaries because I knew that your life was whatever you were going to make it as as a person, I didn't think in terms of male and female, you just did what you wanted to do. And the idea of being held back was just not ever on the radar ever. Um, and my parents were examples of, of that um, and wholly encouraging in whatever my sister and I wanted to do. Well, actually my sister might take that back. <laughs> take that. She's, she's listening. I'm sure she's listening. Um, um, I, I want to get that right. But um what separated the messages I got from my mother specifically from what other women might've gotten from their mothers is that there was nothing anti-marriage, anti-male, and there was no pro-empowerment message about needing to make my own way in life and never depend on a man or any of that. Um, that, that ideology just did not exist in our home. It, life was very, very, very practical. You know, they grew up, both my parents, they're members of their greatest generation. So my dad was born in 1922. My mom was born in 1930. Their entire mindset was totally different from any boomer mentality, which, you know, it's funny because at the time, my parents were about 10, maybe even a little bit more, 15 years older than my friend's parents. And of course, that was a big problem for me growing up because nobody wants older parents. You want hip parents, right? So that that was um, problematic between us for a while, but it it worked out miraculously well, exceptionally well for me with respect to this other issue. And that is that I didn't get fed a lot of the same stuff that some of my friends did. Um, or even if they weren't fed that whatever was coming from the culture, um, 
regarding feminism and empowerment and not depending on a man and all that stuff. Of course, that was starting to come from the culture at the time, but I had this other message coming at me at home, both modeled and expressed in a way that my friends, I do not think did because their mothers were more typical, stereotypical housewives. My mom's life represented a path that feminist suggests women take, but that's not why she took it. She just did what came naturally for her. Um, and then when she got into it and, you know, why she thought she could raise two babies and toddlers alongside being a stockbroker is beyond me, but she did. And she realized the insanity of that. And she stopped and uh, came home and said, that's, that's, that doesn't work. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta uh, plan out your life. You gotta expect to be there when they're home. She, I mean, when they're little, when your kids are little, and she always regretted that. So again, very countercultural messages early on. So needless to say, this unusual background that I have has everything to do with why I do what I do and won't surprise you in the least. So I think, I think that that just ended up giving me a different perspective. So that's part one. All good. All good stuff worked out really, really well for me. Um, my mom was also, by the way, just really, she loved children. Uh, and and the needs of children were very paramount for her and, and passed that on to me as well. It, it Where things got tricky was, was when we got older and started to have more of a voice. Um, that's where my mom really did not do well with the motherhood experience um, because she was... Uh, she comes from, I guess, well, I come from a long line of very strong-willed and strong-minded women. And she's a product of her parents and her parents are a product of their parents and whatever. I don't know how far back it goes. I only know my parents' dynamic and then her parents, uh, uh, not so much the parents, but the the parenting that went on for my mother and, what, and, and, and how that affected her. And then um, it just repeats itself, right? And so you know, it took me a really long time to understand all of this, but the way it manifested itself at the time was that, you know, it, um, she was not comfortable when she was not in control and discipline was not her strong suit at all. She didn't know how to deal with children who actually don't do what they're told, um, you know, don't stay in a box, you know, which is what was expected of her as well. And of course she was very rebellious, which is the irony of the whole thing. All of which is to say, this affected her marriage to my father. Uh, it wasn't just a mothering thing. It was also a, a marriage thing. My father was a very, 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 very stable man. Um, I wouldn't call him an intellectual per se, but he was, he was definitely more nerd-like. He graduated from high school at 17, graduated from college at 21, went right on to get his MBA. He was a great student. He did what he was told. He, um, like I said, he was at the same company for 44 years. And check this out, not one sick day, not one, which is like, I, I don't even know what to say to that. So, <laughs> except to say that my mom wanted steadiness and she got it in spades. And the reason she wanted steadiness was because her family was greatly affected negatively, obviously, by the Great Depression. Her father lost his job and actually never worked again. Her mother, my grandmother, 
had a college degree um, and went to work to support the family at that point when my grandfather was laid off. So the dynamic that she saw as a result of that um, was, you know, again, very unusual for those days um, and repeated in her relationship with my father, which was that she was the dominant one. And what she said went, and my father would try to be heard and essentially would, it was a process of trying to be heard, giving up, trying to be heard, giving up. Um, he did not have a strong constitution is in so far as like, um, I mean, inwardly he did, but, uh, you know, he wasn't going to, um, he didn't want to fight. I mean, that's what it comes down to, which like I've said repeatedly, men don't want to fight with women in general. So I think that's a totally normal, um, predicament for a husband to be in when they have a very strong willed and strong minded wife. It's a fine line that they, that they deal with because they, they want you to be happy and they don't like fighting with you, but they also want to lead. And there was no leading. And I mean, the leader was my mother, period, end of story. So that, anyway, I'm leading up I want to go back to my opening, which is to say that I grew up in a high conflict household. So once I got to be a teenager, really both, both my sister and I were teenagers, it was bad. It was very, very bad because that my, my parents just did not know, they did not have the discipline thing down at all. Um, so that caused great strife between them. And I actually think that most of the strife between them was, was parenting related I imagined them before we came along as being much more peaceful, but um, I don't know. I just know that um, parenting together was not their strength. Um, So the takeaway for me growing up was very clear. It was... It was such a sad place at times during those those years, uh, let's say from 12 to 18, that I had a very strong response to it, or my response to it, I should say, was that, okay, it was very clear to me that for a family to function health in a healthy way, the way it's supposed to function in an ideal way, starts at the top with the marriage. And if the marriage isn't strong, the family can never be strong. That was my takeaway. It was very clear to me, even as an 11 year old, 10, 11, 12, you know, I'm formulating my mind in my mind, all of these things, but, but it was just obvious, you know, I knew that this wasn't normal or healthy to have this kind of conflict going on. Um, and I swore from the time I was young that I would not have that life for myself and that in order to avoid it, the marriage, getting the marriage thing down was crucial, crucial because without it, you have no, you have no good family. That's just what it comes down to. It falls apart. The family falls apart if the marriage falls apart. Generally speaking, there's exceptions to any, every rule, but generally speaking, when the marriage falls apart, the family falls apart. I knew 
that I wanted to have a family and I was going to do it the right way, at least to the best of my ability, the right way. And in order to do that, the marriage thing had to be done right. Okay, so fast forward. I'm now out of the home and I'm go off to college, a beast in Boston. And I'm skipping over a lot, but as a, at the end of the day, I ended up marrying my college sweetheart a year after I graduated from college. So I was 23. Um, and he was the wrong choice. I mean, that's, I'm just going to leave it there. Uh, well, no, I'm not going to leave it there. I'm going to say, because it's part of obviously the story as to why I do what I do. The reality is it was very obvious that on paper, we were not aligned values and priorities wise. I was convinced at the time that because we loved each other, which is why in this book, How to Get Hitched and Stay Hitched, I have a chapter in there that says, that's called Why Love Alone, or not why, sorry, Love Alone is Not Enough. And that stems from this experience, obviously, in part. Um, I was convinced that love is all you need, right? If you love someone enough, you make it work. I mean, how many times do you hear this? right? You're, from your own parents, from the culture. It's just, that's it. Love, 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 love. I think my ex was actually, um, I think we were very typical male and female at the time in that his mind knew in a more practical way that it wasn't enough. And my romantic mind insisted that it was um, because he was sort of pulling back and uh it was like forward, back, forward, back. You know, we were trying to sort of split up because he was from New York. I was from the Midwest. Um, and we had a huge geography, geography problem. And it was, it was just messy, very messy. And it should not have been. And I mean, that's part of the problem when you fall in love with somebody from a different part of the country. Unless one of you really wants to build a life in the other person's part of the country, which certainly happens for sure. It just wasn't our case. He was definitely Eastern. I mean, he was very... Um, Northeast, I should say, with his um, belief system. And I was very Midwest with mine. And that was really the crux of it at the end of the day. But we, there was no lock, there was no lack of love, right? We were very, very, very much in love. And we believed, or at least I did, and I must have convinced him that that would overpower the rest. And of course it didn't, and it fell apart. And that's one of the reasons why I try to warn other people not to do that specifically young women, since we do tend to be the romantic types. Anyway, so that marriage lasted four years, no kids. And then I eventually moved home. And three years later, I was married to my current husband, and we've been married for 23 years, have two children, and we're about to be, num well, no, we are like empty nesters as of now. <laughs> ah, um, so that's sort of my trajectory. And hopefully that gives you a little window into why I'm here and why I feel so strongly about the things that I do. The, I mean, the things that I teach that my experiences are um, so countercultural in that at least my upbringing was, and then my having been married and divorced, no kids. That's another, that's another little subculture. There's actually a name for, for that for that, for those folks. And that's called a starter marriage. I don't know when they named that or why, but it's folks who married five years or less and did not have children. 
if you Google the starter marriage, you'll find a lot of information on that. So I fall into that category, which is, you know, <clears throat> not a huge portion of people do that. So um, I'd like something good to come out of that, please. Thank you. <laughs> um, so yeah, between that, the love not being, you know, love's not enough thing and the having very countercultural messages from my parents growing up mixed with seeing a marriage that did not, um, that struggled in a big way. And there was a lot of conflict despite their staying married. Um, all of those things together, I guess, led me to where I am now, which, you know, that's another thing. It's, it's a, you, you, you grow and you change. So this whole idea that, you know, I think I've spoken about this before, but I'll say it again, this idea that you're going to find yourself, find your life, do all of these things and then get married. And this person's going to just mesh into this life you've created um, as though you're done growing is just ridiculous. I mean, you don't, you never finish growing and you're going to constantly be changing. So by that logic, you just, you might as well just get married when you're younger because you're going to constantly grow. And the idea is to grow together. So you never know what's going to happen. That's the other problem with living with people, this idea that you're going to test it and see if it's going to work um, to be married to this person. That's also crazy because there's no way of knowing how you're going to be tested down the road. It just doesn't work that way. Oh, I don't know. I just, um, as you can see, feel very strongly about all of this. And so that's why I do what I do. Um, as far as my marriage today, my 23-year marriage, he and I um, came together when we met with a very strong understanding of, of how we thought and what we believed with respect to these subjects. And it, we are aligned on 150%. And that common mission is huge for us. It's just been um, a boon. And that doesn't mean that we're this perfect fit and everything goes great, and I'm so lucky, and don't I have a perfect marriage? It is nothing like that. We have as many problems as everybody listening. When you're, I mean, if you're married, all marriages have conflicts and problems. The issue isn't, how do I avoid that? The issue is, how do you move through that and stay intact in a healthy fashion? That's ultimately the goal, and who doesn't have that goal? Who doesn't, who, when they're married, doesn't ultimately want that? The issue really is, how are you going to get there? And can somebody please help, right? And and that's why I do what I do. That's what the coaching is all about. Um, my husband and I have struggled through and come out on the other side. We, it, it just bothers me very much that people are taught to think that there's this person out there that's just perfect for you. And once you find them, you're all good to go. No, no, there's definitely a person who's better suited for you than someone else, for sure. I mean, I can look back on my story that I just explained. And obviously, my my husband today is much better for me and a much better match than my first. But that doesn't mean that the marriage will succeed on its own accord because you found this perfect match. You found a better match or a good, you try to find a good match in the ways that are um, smart, you know, the values, the priorities, 
um, similar backgrounds, where you're going, what your goals are, all of those things. But you're still going to struggle with problems, even with that. So you want to get that in place. Yes, which I didn't have before, but I had other problems or he and I have other problems that I didn't have with my first husband. And so when somebody comes along and thinks that they're going to, um, you know, not take themselves with them into the next marriage and still have other, you know, nine out of 10 times you, you come out of one frying pan into another to some degree. You're, you get a different set of crap, you know, to deal with. And really at the end of the day, it's more about how are you going to deal with that crap? You know, how are you going to deal with it? And that's why the, my biggest message to people is, and I keep coming back to this and thinking about it over and over every year I'm married. It's like, what are your views of marriage itself? What, what is your view of marriage as an institution? Because if you, if you have the same view of this thing you've embarked upon together, you're much, much more likely to succeed than if you, if one person thinks less of marriage than the other and that they can always get divorced, they're, you're likely going to have that happen, right? You have to be on the same team about what it is you're doing together in order to propel forward. If someone's constantly pulling back because the mission's different or the mindset is different, then you're going to struggle, which is why it's also so important to look at people's um, parents' relationship when you when you do get married. You know, if you're a product of divorce, which, by the way, my husband is, and I had no idea what that was going to I've never, I didn't know anybody actually. I mean, I knew people who were divorced, but I didn't, I was never involved with anybody. I didn't even have any close friends whose parents were divorced, believe it or not. Um, so this was totally new territory for me and I'm completely unfamiliar with it. Or I mean, I was at the time. And if he were sitting here, he would say, he would tell you the truth about what his issues are as a result of that, that followed through into his adult life. And of course, into our relationship um, in the same way that I have things from mine. It's just a different kind of thing, but um, so I'm not saying there's a way to, you know, marry somebody whose background is, is great. So you don't have any problems. Once again, it's just being aware of how different that background is with respect to what they want going forward for themselves in their own lives. And that comes back to their view of marriage and what the goal is instead of just getting married because you love them, you know, and you want to have kids. You know, it's got to be bigger than that. It's got to be bigger than that. Without a mission, you, you're going to you're going to stumble. So I hope that helps to sort of have this recorded um, to just hear my story, which is not something I talk about very often. But I thought it would be helpful, especially as I'm going forward every week to talk to you about um, this very important mission of mine this year with this book and its content. So I thank you all for listening. And um, until next time, remember, you can always contact me at Suzanne at the Suzanne show.com. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great week. And that ends this hour of the Suzanne Benker show. Don't forget to go to SuzanneBenker.com slash podcast and click on become a Patreon subscriber, where you get early access to the shows as well as other perks. This is what allows me to continue to bring you quality content commercial free. 
That is my number one goal because you know what? Commercials suck. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great week.